The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're in kindergarten through fifth grade and you'd like to go to Children's Church, please join our volunteers by the Kids' Zone sign. If it's your child's first time in Children's Church, please go with them so we can get them checked in. Thank you, Katie. We are in our Advent series. Advent means waiting. It means marching toward Christmas as we want Jesus to come. And so uh, as the whole entire world is saying it's the most wonderful time of the year, the church actually is slowing things down. Um, one pastor I heard this week call it Sadvent um, because we're trying to live in the moment of waiting for Jesus to come. And it's because we're waiting between one coming, Christmas, he's come 2,000 years ago, and then another one that's coming, that he will come back. And as we wait in that tension, we celebrate and remember that he's come and he's coming again. And last week we are in Isaiah and hearing about the promises of King Jesus coming and what it looks like and sounds like and what are the notes in it. And, and last week we heard about the promise of, Jesus, uh, of God's nearness and his presence, that he's Emmanuel, he's God with us. And then this week we'll hear about the promise of peace as Jesus comes. He's come to bring peace. And so uh, for this morning, as we look at Isaiah 11, we'll see something pretty clear, and it is that uh, for peace to reign, for us to yearn for it and long for it and have an appetite for it, it's important for us to know that we really need to know how fragmented the world really is and how fragmented we ourselves really are so that peace can, really can be a beautiful thing. And that's what peace is. It's, it's bringing things that are broken and, sh- and shattered and spread out back together and made whole again. And so we'll look at three things this morning as we look at Isaiah 11. We'll look at the stump, uh, second, the shoot, and then third, the serenity. The stump, the shoot, and the serenity. But would you join me as we pray and study God's word together this morning? 
Lord, we sing songs that we know and we have nostalgia injected into our veins. And it really is the most wonderful time of the year. And the purpose of Advent to slow us down is not to make us sad and not to make us hopeless. It's to make us really long for who you are. Would you slow this very day, Holy Spirit, our busy hearts down so that we can have a proper awareness of ourselves and of our world so that we really can truly long for who you are. And this day, would you have us long for peace? Not because it's our idea, but because it's yours, Jesus, and you've promised it. We beg of you, Lord, give us peace now. Would you forgive the sins of the one who brings your word, for they are many. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So first, the stump, the stump. Uh, God's people in that time are the 12 tribes of Israel, and they've been split apart. Ten are to the north, they're Israel. And then two tribes are to the south, Judah. And Isaiah is called to go to the southern kingdom. Go to Judah and, and speak words to them as a prophet. He's an Old Testament prophet. And in that day, these tribes, whether north, south, whatever, they've always made these peace treaties with their neighboring countries so that, to make sure that they're okay. It's their fire insurance. It's to say, hey, you protect me and I'll protect you if anything goes bad. You give me this, I'll give you that. It's to make sure that they're protected and safe and sound and secure. And actually what comes of those treaties is that the people that they get um, partner with come and invade and attack and take over and destroy and scatter. That's the audience for Isaiah, a people who are now there, who are implicated and embattled. That's the audience. And so Isaiah is this prophet called by God. And there's this uh, person that I knew who was many, many grades ahead of me uh, from my high school who went to play uh, baseball at Vanderbilt. And because it's Vanderbilt, you can play whatever sports you want when you go there. And so he uh, played football too. And he was a freshman, a backup quarterback. And as he was a playing, uh, playing football and a backup quarterback, they were in, in Tuscaloosa. They were playing Alabama. And uh, the starter got hurt. So now this 18-year-old kid is called in to go against uh, the Tide. And so he goes in, and there's pictures of that game Whereas this 18-year-old boy, he has this gold helmet, Vanderbilt helmet on, and it's caked in painted red turf because he's sacked over and over again, oftentimes in his own end zone, hint the red turf. The task of a Vanderbilt quarterback is this, you're just not going to win. And the task for Isaiah is just that. He's going to go to an embattled, implicated people, and they're not going to listen. And he's going to have to go to an audience who won't listen. He's going to have to give a message of, of hope and judgment, uh, and it's really kind of an impossible job. And finally, after hearing this in, in Isaiah chapter 6, his call, Isaiah says, God, how long am I supposed to do that? How long am I supposed to have this impossible job? And here's what God says. This is a paraphrase, but at the very end of chapter 6 in Isaiah, it says, until it gets really bad, pretty much. Really bad. 
Cities are vacated and in ruin. Houses are destroyed and deserted. Fields are ravaged. People are sent away. And everything is forsaken. Do your job until that happens. And just like a tree that's cut down, there's going to be stumps everywhere. But leave the stumps. Leave the stumps that are cut down. Hope is going to come from that place. A place of desolation. And that's exactly what Isaiah 11 talks about. Stumps. Stumps. Things that once were alive that have been cut down by uh, themselves or by others. And it's desolation everywhere. And God's people of Judah and God's promised land are ruined and cut back including the stump that the Messiah, Jesus, is supposed to come from, the stump of Jesse. As far as I can see, it's desolation. It's just wiped out. It's cut back. And up to now, in the Old Testament, God has made these promises to people called covenants. And he's gone to them and and made these promises that are really distinct. And they include things like uh, with Noah. He says, I'm not going to flood the earth again. I'm going to preserve the earth. And give stability to it. And and to Abraham, he says, I'm going to give you a people and a nation. To Moses, I'm going to give you a law that helps navigate life well and really leads you to the good life. And then for David, that he's going to have an everlasting throne, an everlasting kingdom. All of those are promises of God. And if you're Isaiah and you hold those things and have those things in your mind, which you do, you look across the, the state of the people you're going to and all you see are stumps of God's promises being cut down and cut back. And you have to wonder, God, are you just full of it? Are you just this kind of Harold Hill of promising everything and giving nothing? Stumps as far as the eye can see to the point in which the people who are promised things like security and land and people and offspring and ruling and reigning through a kingdom and a throne, it's not reality. When I was in college, I was diagnosed with cancer and one of the first appointments, asking a lot of questions, and one of the questions that I asked was, will my hair fall out? And telling me like the sky was blue, my oncologist said with confidence, 18 days from your first treatment, you will lose your hair. 18 days later, I'm washing my hair and look down and see gobs of hair in my fingers. The thing and the places that are being cut back to the point in which it's going to be bare and desolate because there's a war raging between medicine and multiplying cells. And there's a war raging in Judah of trusting their God or trying to figure it out themselves. And in that war that rages in them is going to be evidence of bare stumps cut back, stripped down. And so for you this very day, my question is this, where are the stumps in your life? God has promised to work through his people and give them stuff and give them security and take care of them and and shepherd them and treat them like the apple of his eye. He has said those words. And yet there are stumps. There are things that had life and now that are cut back, cut to the studs all the way. 
What are your stumps, the places where God has worked before, but now it looks pretty barren? And Isaiah keeps on talking in Isaiah 11, so therefore we can keep on talking and finish that thought. And we can say to that very question, which you should answer and wrestle with, is that those very places are often the places of hope and renewal, and things that have been cut down and stripped back. And the reason that Isaiah is relevant to us this day is not just because it's the word of God, but also it's relevant because it holds in tension the rigor of life and the promises of God. Because sometimes the promises seem so real and there and present and and winning the story. And sometimes the rigor of life is there and present and winning the story. And Isaiah holds those things in tension. And he writes to a people with full knowledge of holding those things in tension. Uh, One commentator said this about just the season of Christmas to this very thought. Fleming Rutledge says, The entire thrust of this season at the end of the church year is designed to bring us face to face with reality. Reality about sin and death, reality about the human race, reality about God. Something ultimate has entered our world. Something or someone that calls us to attention, calls us out of our daily preoccupations and our routine points of view. This is what this season, with its special biblical readings, is designed to reveal. Advent looks right at the reality and the rigor of life. Advent looks right at the stumps that mark and mar your world and your story and offers us hope amid it. And that's why Isaiah is still relevant. The places that we have so easily written off because we just don't like them, where we fail, and there's despair, and there's disappointment, and there's bargaining, and things have gone awry. Those are the places and the stumps that offer hope still. And that's what leads us to our second idea, the shoot. The shoot. From the place that seems irredeemable comes hope. Not because we think of that, but that's what God says. The shoot, it's this branch, this this kind of offshoot, this sprout, this growth from the, the stump that's been cut down, the tree that's been cut down. And it's the peace that Judah needs. And it's the peace that you need. And it's the peace that I need. A peace comes as a shoot. And it says in verse 1 of Isaiah 11, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. What we see is this shoot, this coming shoot, this Messiah that's going to come, and it's gonna, he's going to be peerless in his, the descriptions given. It talks about what this kind of king is like that Isaiah is promising, and it says words like this. It says, Talks about wisdom and understanding, leadership. Talks about counsel and might, how he's a victor in war. Knowledge and a fear of the Lord, how he's holy. A perfect judgment and discernment, how he knows every single person even better than we know ourselves. Those are the things that, 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 that this shoot is known for, that this Messiah is known for. 
I have a friend who runs an anti-human uh, trafficking organization, and what she says is this. She says that all roads to justice unashamedly end in Jesus. That is to say, the justice she works so hard for isn't her idea. It's actually Jesus's. And actually, it finds its full completion in him. And if we take that concept and apply it exactly to the words that Isaiah describes, this shoot, this Messiah to be, we can hold to the fact and the truth that this shoot, this Messiah, this hope is this. That wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, awe, worship, victory, whatever it may be on that list, unashamedly find its origin and its end in Jesus. The shoot and the hope grows out of hopelessness and this person of peerless power brings peace. And so if you're like my daughter, you ask the question, why? But why, Dad? Why did God do that? Why was that God's next step, next chapter, next move? Why didn't he just chuck it all out? In Isaiah 6, and the call of Isaiah, the commissioning of Isaiah, uh, God says at the very end of the chapter, leave the stumps, because that's where hope is going to come. Why does he leave the stumps, and why does he have a shoot come from the stump? And it's this. It's because he is so committed to you. He's so committed to his people that he won't let, as the powerful person, he won't let a powerless people be ruled and reigned by their powerlessness. Paul David Tripp said this, The Christmas story confronts our delusion that we can live healthy and wholesome and dependent lives. If we were capable of being what we're supposed to be and doing what we're designed to do, and if we're able to solve our deepest and most foundational problems, then there would, be, there would have been no need whatsoever for Jesus to come and take human form to be born as a baby, to live, die, and rise again. The Christmas story confronts us with our dependency. The Christmas story tells us that we need help. The Christmas story tells us that spiritual need and spiritual dependency are universal and inescapable. It makes no sense to celebrate the birth of Jesus when we strive for independence. Paul Tripp is getting at the idea that the story of Christmas, the story of waiting for Jesus, is that it answers the very promise that we all long to know is true, and it's that we need a rescuer. It makes no sense for him to come, especially from desolation, from a stump that's cut down, the hard way of coming, it makes no sense for him to come if we don't need him. And when we really embrace that a powerless baby is actually, in fact, the most powerful king of all who's peerless, we begin to wrap our arms around the gravity of the situation and the gravity of the season that Jesus comes as a shoot from a desolate place because if he were, did not, the stump would still be our reality. 
The story of Advent and the story of Christmas is that a shoot. The Prince of Peace, Jesus, will come from the promised line of Jesse. And all the promises of God that he's made and that the people are relying on aren't the house of cards. And out of that stump comes hope, which leads us to our last point, the serenity. The product of Jesus reigning is serenity. It's, it's peace. And it's perfection in every sense of the word. And we hear about this perfection and this kind of utopian petting zoo thing where all these animals are talked about. And it talks about it in Isaiah. Isaiah gives us reality and a taste of it in verse 6 and on. He says that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as far as the waters cover the sea. In that day... The root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations, nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. That ideal, that kind of thought, a dream world where all these animals are just playing together and aren't enemies, it has a felt board feel to it. It has this kind of a children's story about it. And all of it is supposed to whet our appetite for the fact that Jesus is coming to bring it. And yes, it's that there's no conflict between animals and the animal kingdom. That's, that's true. But that's, that's really just to give us a foretaste and a sight to what it really actually brings and what it really actually brings is peace. Not just the absence of conflict, but it gives us peace. And the theme of peace in the Bible is that all these fragmented pieces that are broken are brought together, mended, healed, and actually, it's actually made more beautiful than it was before. Here in the Bible, the thought of peace gets at two fundamental things that every single person feels a fundamental experience of brokenness. For thousands of years, people have been wondering and asking and trying to articulate what's wrong with the world and putting story to that thought. Fundamental thought and experience is brokenness and also a fundamental longing, which is this, I long to be whole. And all of us have ways in which we try to make that true and we try to track it down. We long to be whole. And here we see that in Jesus' reign, there's not just an absence of conflict, but there's perfection because as the person and the prince of peace, he brings it all together. And there is no threat. There's nothing that, that will take from you. And also in that kind of description of, the, of animals, it talks about a baby and a snake. Now, if you've ever been around a baby or if you've been a baby before, you know that uh, babies explore. And they touch everything, and they put everything in their mouth. This very week, our just-turned-one-year-old 
found a way and knows every day how to do it now to go to the Christmas tree, um, pull the light plug out, play with it, lick it, and then put it back in the socket. <laughs> we're great. We're great parents. Uh, they're innocent explorers. And in that innocence and vulnerability, the thing that threatens it like a cobra has lost its teeth. There's no thing that the cobra can take from even a little baby. But the people of Israel, just like they knew the promises and the covenant of, covenants of God, uh, they knew also what this was talking about. They knew about the Garden of Eden and how all the animals were perfect and dwelling together and there was no conflict and no food chain. They knew about that. And they also knew about a snake in the Garden of Eden. And so to hear that a little baby boy is going to lead them so that all of the realities of the Garden of Eden will be a reality one day and that peace will actually be the story and have a full reign they're seeing that the promise of Genesis 3.15, the promise that uh, the, the heel of the promised one will, will crush the head of the serpent, they're seeing that very thought developed in, right before their eyes. And for us, in our point of history, we, we look back and see that it's actually come. That a little child has come and has led them. And that little child has crushed the head of the serpent. And that little child is going to bring peace like we've never known before. He's going to come as a king to fulfill Genesis 3.15, to fulfill Isaiah 11. He's going to come and fulfill it all, all because he has this parade marching toward the future reality of peace. C.S. Lewis says uh, this about that thought. Enemy-occupied territory, that is what the world is. And Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. The fragmented pieces in your life that are broken and shattered and irreparable the aim and the bullseye of Jesus is on it because he has this campaign of sabotage to take back what's rightfully his, which are those things. And as the person and the Prince of Peace, he takes them and he wields them back together and makes them actually even more beautiful than they were before. And we can have hope in that because, again, we can look at the reality and the rigor of our lives and the hope that Isaiah 11 talks about and say, Jesus, you have to win the story because if not, the stump will still be there. And as your heart aches, in whatever manner it aches, I'm here to tell you it's not supposed to be like that. And if you already think that, if you already think to yourself, it's not supposed to be like this, the fragmentation and the brokenness, I'm here to tell you you're dead on. And Jesus likes you to think that way because he's taking ground as he's come once before in a manger and how he's coming again in a second advent. And here as the church, we wait for peace to fully reign and it's okay for us to hope and pe for that peace would reign right this very moment in our stories. 
We need a gospel that's big. And we need to look at every single part of our life and quantify it. Because when we have a gospel that's this big, we know that hope is even bigger than that. Because if it's not the gospel and the story of Christmas isn't worth our attention and it's certainly not worth our affection. But the Prince of Peace has come and said that the cut down stumps of your life that's barren and dry and hopeless, that's exactly where hope will come from. And fruit will be there. And the fruit is this, it's peace, it's healing. No more fragmentation. The King has come. The Prince of Peace is here. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would bring peace on earth. The thing that uh, we hear about and sing about in Christmas, bring peace on earth just as it is in heaven. flood our hearts with a hope that's big enough that actually you will reign again and that the head of the serpent is crushed and that we can, just like children, because we are just that, we are children, that we can lay down and we can play in the nest of the cobra and it has nothing on us. All because you reign, King Jesus. So this very day, reign over the places in our life that are broken so that we may know your peace. We pray this in your name. Amen. All because you reign, King Jesus. So this very day, reign over the places in our life that are broken so that we may know your peace. We pray this in your name. Amen.